Well, good morning. Uh, if you have a, a copy of the scriptures, would you open up to uh, Exodus chapter 6? Uh, this morning we're going to finish uh, that chapter. We uh, will be in verse 9 to start this morning. And in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, we read these words. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation. Gershon, Kohath, and Marai. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libani, Shammai by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merai, Malai, and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jehochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons, the sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepeg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elazapan, and Zithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Abinadab, and the sister of Nashan, and she bore him Nabad, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar, the sons of Korah, Isar, Elkanah, and Ibishath. <laughs> These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of their father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word and to study it. Uh, Father, I thank you for what you show us uh, in Exodus chapter 6, Father. And even in this genealogy, how we see that you were laying the plans for our salvation, for our redemption, uh, right here in Exodus 6. And so I pray today that as we look at this, uh, that the gospel would be proclaimed and heralded. I pray that Jesus would be lifted up. Um, Father, I pray that each and every one of us would see that, that no matter where we find ourselves, that, Father, you want to use us in spite of our broken families or our broken past or our messy situations that, that maybe we're in now. You still have a plan to use us to glorify your name. And so I pray that that be evident today in the text. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week we, we looked at God's response to Moses' prayer. 
And God's response was, hey, Moses, watch what I'm about to do, that, that I'm the Lord and I will accomplish all that I said I would. And so the lesson for us is to remember the gospel, that the deep waters of Christianity are found in remembering what God has done for us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That every day we need to look to the cross to see that God keeps His promises. That through the cross we've been adopted and we've been made heirs and given the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, free of sin and suffering and plague. And a land where we will worship Jesus. And that our hope as Christians uh, is there during these uncertain times. Now today's passage may seem a bit odd to you uh, if you've read ahead because of, of the genealogy that's placed right in the middle of this passage. This passage is what is called an inclusio, or, or sometimes it's called a, a double inclusio. It's the repetition of the same language at the beginning and the end of a section of literature forming bookends. So, so an inclusio tells the reader that what is in the middle of the two bookends is in support of or explanation of the words making up the bookends. So, so in other words, the meat of what this passage is trying to teach us is found in this genealogy. So look with me, if you will, in, in Exodus chapter 6. We'll start in verse 9 again. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So in verse 9, we've got Moses fresh off of his revelation of who God is and what he's about to do. And he goes and he tells the people, hey, God's just told me that he will accomplish everything he said he would do, that he's going to do it all. But as we see here is that the people don't listen. And it says they don't listen because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. See, we are an emotional people, aren't we? I mean, I know I am. I know this last week I finally just kind of had it with this whole coronavirus thing. About Wednesday, I was just fed up with it. And I was angry and I was frustrated. And I was throwing things because I'm an emotional person. I'm ready for this to be over. The Israelites by this point have been enslaved for 400 years. And so their chains had prevented them from hearing the cry of freedom. Their spirits were broken, so broken that they couldn't hear the promise that God had made of deliverance. And see, it's the same for you and I. Salvation begins by acknowledging that apart from the saving work of God's Spirit, we are slaves to sin. That no matter how hard we try to stop, we keep sinning. And often we commit the same sins over and over again. Theologians would call this the doctrine of total inability, which simply means that sinners cannot save themselves. That the way a sinner is saved is by divine intervention. That God himself has to step in and break the chains. That God is the one who has to offer the deliverance. We know he does this by the power of the Holy Spirit, who opens minds and hearts to hear the gospel. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. See, see, the Israelites are going to experience that great deliverance from God soon. But, but in the meantime, God still had work for Moses to do. And so God says, listen, get back to work, Moses. You go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But our boy, once again, poor, insecure Moses goes back to the same old tactics, doesn't he? He says, God, my own people won't even listen to me. So, so why would Pharaoh listen to me? I am of uncircumcised lips, which is just another way of, of Moses saying, God, I don't talk good, right, in, in our vernacular. He's saying, I'm not ready for public speaking, God. And again, it's been the case throughout Exodus. God doesn't allow Moses to dwell on his weaknesses and his insecurities. God doesn't try to lift his self-esteem by saying, hey, come on, buddy. I mean, you deserve this, pal. I mean, you've worked really, really hard for this. You need to go get Pharaoh now. Just, just go do it. You can do it. You're real special, Moses. God does none of that. God just says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. God has already told Moses on numerous occasions how this will work out. Moses doesn't have an excuse. He just needs to go and trust that the Lord will do everything he said he would do. And then we come to verse 14, which is just kind of an abrupt stop. Like it's this interruption where we get this genealogy out of nowhere. Now, now understand this. This genealogy is not what God spoke to Moses right here, okay? Later, as Moses is being inspired by the Spirit, as he's writing the book of Exodus while he's wandering in the wilderness with the children of Israel, he writes this portion of Scripture. And again, it's, it's very intentional. It's an intentional interruption because he wants the children of Israel to be reminded of their history. He wants them to know that God didn't pick the wrong guy. But, but the genealogy is going to also be a reminder to Moses it's a way of Moses saying to himself, hey, hey, buddy, you've got no business calling it quits. Let's just think about who you are and where you're from for just a second. So, so my encouragement to you, though, is listening to this, is that when you come to genealogies in the Bible, don't skip them as if they're unimportant. They're important because this is part of our story. That all scripture is God breathed, and so God has put these names in there because He wants us to read those names. You know, we were supposed to be celebrating our church's 100 year anniversary recently. And one of the things that we've done is we put a book together of our church's history, and in that book, there's also a list of the pastors of this church. And that's important because that's a part of our story here at First Baptist Spearman. Right? That's important to me because as I looked at those names, it's neat and, and it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's, just, it's a reminder to me of where I fit in this church's story. And this is the same for us as we read these. We realize this is part of our story and these people played a role in that. So in Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 through, through 25, we see these names. And I'm not going to break down every single one of them. You've already heard me flub some of that already. But I'm going to go through some of these to show you that Moses did not come from perfect people. And yet in spite of his brokenness, God chooses to use these people. Now this genealogy is selective, like all of them throughout the scriptures. And it doesn't go through all of Jacob's 12 sons. It just goes through the first three. 
And the purpose of the genealogy is to ground Moses and Aaron's work to the priestly line of the Levites. So when Moses says they won't listen to me, this, re, this genealogy is a reminder to him that, wait, I'm part of the Levites. That, that my brother Aaron is going to be the chief priest and that from now on all the priests will come from him. But it's also going to be an amazing reminder to Moses and to us of how God uses broken people to accomplish his purpose. So you have Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And what we see is that Levi gets all the attention. Reuben and Simeon are only mentioned to to show Levi's place in the family, that he was the thirdborn. And if you ever study Levi's story, you see that that Levi is a person of passion and a person of violence. In in Genesis chapter 34, we find out that Levi's sister Dana is raped by a man named Shechem. Levi and Simeon find out about it and they go to confront the man. And Shechem asks for forgiveness and then he asks for Dinah's hand in marriage. And so Reuben and Levi say, yeah, sure, that, that's great, but we have one condition. That, that condition is, is that we want you and your entire village to undergo circumcision. And so Shechem's thinking, hey, man, I, I'm kind of getting off easy. I mean, it'll be a little painful, right? But, but it'll be okay. And so he agrees to do it. And so on the third day, after all the men in the town are sore from this procedure, the two boys go into town and they slaughter every single one of the males in that village. This is the man that's at the top of the family tree for Moses and Aaron. In verse 20, we, we find out that, that Moses' dad married his aunt. Later on in Leviticus 18, it would be forbidden, and in Leviticus 20, it's going to be punishable. And, and the reason Moses includes this here is because by this point, he's received the law of God. And he wants people to know that, yes, even my parents fell short of God's law. In verse 23, we read about Aaron's son Nabab and Abihu, who were struck dead by the Lord in Leviticus 10 for offering strange fire to the Lord in the temple. These two men were priests. They should have known about the Lord's holiness, but they were careless. And as a result, God punishes them. In verse 21, we read of Moses' cousin Korah, who led a rebellion against Moses. And in number 16, God punishes him by saying, You're swallowed up with pride, and I'm going to swallow you up. And the earth opens and swallows Korah and his entire family. Now, you also have good stories in this family as well. In verse 23, we read about Aaron's grandson, Phinehas who in Numbers 25 sees the children of Israel participating in the pagan practices of the Moabites. And as Phinehas is in the temple one day, he sees a man bring a woman in to have relations with her, and he stands up, he takes a spear, and he kills them both. He protects God's house, and he ends the plague that God had brought on the people of Israel, killing 24,000. This is their family. And it is not a flawless family by any means. Do you know who else's family is a lot like theirs? Yours? Mine? I mean, maybe right now during this time of quarantine, maybe during this time of seclusion, you're figuring that out with your family, right? I mean, every year during the holidays, you see this. During family vacations, you see this. That we love our families, but even the best families don't get everything right, no matter what Instagram tells us. 
And what all this information should show us is that every one of us got where we are, quirks and all. Hang-ups and brokenness by the experiences that we've been through in the past and maybe the, the ones that you're in right now. And I think as believers, this passage of Scripture teaches us to be gracious to one another. That a lot of times we have no idea what another person has gone through or is going through that might influence their behavior. And that's not saying that we shouldn't hold uh, people to certain standards, that we should give them a free pass to act however we want. We should hold them to certain standards in their behavior, but we do that with grace. See, Moses and Aaron's family was not perfect, but yet God was still going to use this imperfect, broken family to bring His people out of Egypt. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. I love that line. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said to bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. It's, it's letting you know that they're ordinary men with broken, flawed families. A family filled with outlaws and in-laws. A family marked by struggle. But God chooses to use them. See, God wants to use ordinary people like you to make His name great right here in Spearman, Texas. The mistake that believers make a lot of times is that we think that it's people like Joe and I who are special because we're pastors, right? And that because God, because we're pastors, that's who God wants to use. And, and that is true. But listen, a lot of times you as, as believers in this congregation have more of a reach with the people in this community than I'll ever have. I heard the old comedian Dennis Swanberg one time say that ministers are just regular folk. They're God called but they're regular. And it's true. I'm just a regular guy doing my best to love Jesus and to shepherd the group of believers that God has given me. I come from a broken, flawed families, from family, well, families. <laughs> and in a way, I'm a broken and I'm a flawed man. I mean, I've been here five years. Most of you know who I am and have dealt with me in some capacity. I'll be real vulnerable because it's just me and a camera right now. You know, um, I've always been a guy that, that's been prone to, to very low uh, times. Uh, there, there's just times that, that lowness comes on me and it's like a warm blanket that just kind of comes over me and, and I struggle to get that off. And throughout most of my marriage, I, I've dealt with that. But about October of this year, it, it just finally got to the point where it was becoming more and more frequent. Uh, and even over the holidays, my marriage was not probably in a great spot because of my behavior and because of these low points to where finally I had to realize that, that I needed to reach out and talk to somebody. And, and thankfully, an older pastor in our area set me down and uh, prayed with me and, and counseled me and, and sought, uh, encouraged me to get some help. And so I did. And I, and I talked to a doctor. And, and, and since then, I've been on a very low dose antidepressant that, that has helped me tremendously. I'm not perfect, but in spite of this and who I am, God continues to use people like me, and He continues to use people like you to move His plan forward. Matt Chandler put it this way, and I think this is wonderful. Broken past and messy presence 
do not cut us out of God's big plan to seek, save, redeem, and establish human flourishing. In fact, it qualifies us for it because all there are are broken people. There is no one whole. There is no one righteous. The Bible goes to great length of effort to convince us that that is all there are, broken people. And see, God's plans can't be stopped because of broken people. And see, the thing for us is to get our, get our eyes off of ourselves and all the ways that we stumble and all the ways that we fall and all the ways that we don't line up, to get our eyes off of that and to turn our eyes to Jesus. And the section of Scripture ends the way it started. If you look at verse 28, it says, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Moses says, God, I can't speak good. And God doesn't appeal to his self-esteem. Instead, God reminds him of a very important fact. He says, I'm the Lord. I know you can't speak well, Moses. You're a terrible public speaker. I've heard you. You're boring. But that doesn't matter. I'm the Lord. I'm the one who will accomplish the saving. You just be obedient to what I've called you to do. Now go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses, stop looking at yourself. Look at me. God's telling Moses, you don't have to get everything right, Moses. You just have to be willing to go. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be an amazing orator. Just have to speak my words to Pharaoh. Moses, I know you're imperfect, but I've seen so much worse in your family. I've put up with worse, and I've judged worse, and I've used worse. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And that's the lesson for us. Listen, especially the, the men in our church right now. If you notice, it talks about these are the heads of their household, right? The, the Bible is always calling us as men to lead our families. And men, you have an incredible opportunity right now to begin to lead your family. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. All you have to do is be obedient. And I told you this on Wednesday, but let me encourage you to do this again. Just take baby steps. Maybe a short prayer before dinner. Maybe a short prayer before you leave the house to go to work. Make sure the family is in front of the TV or the computer on Sunday morning. Use the Team Kid video or the student ministry video. Watch those with your kids or your students. And then when you're done, just ask them the questions. Be obedient. Allow God to use you to make your family uh, thrive in its relationship with the Lord. But for all of us during this time of fear and panic, can we rest in the hope that Jesus provides? I mean, can we be an example to the world around us of where our hope is? Let others see that in us. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. Just be obedient to share the love of Christ with your neighbor through word and through deed and see what God can do. But the most important thing about this section of Scripture is that it points us to Jesus. If you look at Exodus chapter 6, look at verse 23. In verse 23, it tells us that Aaron took as his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Abinadab, and the sister of Nashon. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, 
we read the genealogy of Jesus. And specifically in verses 4 and 5, look what we read. And Ram, the father of Abinadab. And Abinadab, the father of Nashan. And Nashan, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. 1,500 years before Jesus, God is laying the groundwork for His Son to step into human history to redeem and to save sinners. We are saved by the genealogy of Christ as a man born of the Virgin Mary. We are saved by Christ, the high priest who ever lived and existed and who will always reign, live, and exist to intercede for us. God's promises are true. And right now in this time of doubt and fear, we can hold on to that. So so let me ask you, are you willing to let God interrupt your story like he did Moses? And I believe he has of late, hasn't he? That, That we've all of a sudden come to this abrupt stop in our lives where we're no longer chasing kids all over the country. We're no longer running around and going out and eating and doing all the things that we once did. Like our lives have been interrupted. That's what happened to Moses. Things were going along for Moses and God steps in and says, Hey, I need to tell you something about your family. Your earthly family may not be perfect and your situation may be less than ideal, Moses. But don't look at that. Look at me. Look to your heavenly family and see how I'm working to bring about your salvation. So if you're watching this today, let me ask you a question. Is your name written in heaven's membership list? Is your name written in the genealogy of heaven? The Bible calls this the Lamb's book of life. It can today simply by trusting in Jesus and His gospel. Listen, it's not about your family. It's not about your past. It's not even about your current situations. It's all about Jesus and what He's done to pay for your sins. Brothers and sisters, listen, all these promises of hope in the future, all of those find their yes and their amen in Christ. We can ground our hope in the God who keeps His promises. A God who had a plan from the beginning to seek and to save and redeem sinners and give them a land free of sin and sickness. A land where we will worship Jesus forever. And right here in a genealogy in Exodus, we see that that plan was on God's mind. That's where our hope is in these trying times. It's not in ourselves, it's not in our family, but it's in the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all you've given us. I thank you that right here in Exodus 6, in in a genealogy, we see the plan being laid for Jesus Christ to step out of heaven to do what we were incapable of doing. We see the plan being laid for Jesus to come and live the life we should have lived, to die a death we deserve, to take our place, to substitute himself for us so that we could be made right with you. And that, Father, the gospel is the only message that we need. That, Father, you use people in spite of who they are, in spite of their families, in spite of their past, Father, because it's not about those things, it's all about Jesus. So I just pray for my brothers and sisters at home. That that this week, Father, they would just be obedient to you. They would be obedient to tell their neighbors about you, 
to share the love of Christ through word and deed, that our men in this church would be obedient to lead their families well, to know that, Father, you are the Lord and you will do all that you have promised to do. I thank you for the hope that we have. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.